Thank you. You may be seated. So I have to do a bit of a disclaimer. Ooh, there I am. I have to do a bit of a disclaimer. When I preach, I tend to find that I am either fiercely passionate or passionately fierce. I'm not really sure which. Uh, but I have to remember to smile because I get really intense when I preach. And rarely am I angry or mad, um, but sometimes that is how it comes across. So, which is a little atypical for my personality. I'm usually smiling, but when I preach, I tend not to smile as much. My message is entitled, All Give Some and Some Give All. And I really felt like I wanted to honor that tomorrow is Veterans Day and the importance of what that means for us as Americans, but even more so for us as Christians. And so I really wanted to tie in um, the sacrifice that our military personnel offer for our benefit. Um, I tend to be one who does not write out my entire sermon like Brad does, uh, but I found that this time, actually, yesterday, um, I wrote out the entire sermon. So um, that's a little unusual for me, but if anybody does want a copy of it, I actually have that. So it's the first time that I can say that. Usually Brad is the one who can send out his sermons. So... As we recognize the veterans and our active military today and tomorrow, do we really take time to consider the cost that they spent on our behalf? We have heard the phrase, all give some and some give all, and often it is in context with our military. It's a powerful statement, and often it makes us pause for a moment. We may say a prayer thanking those veterans who have served on our behalf, and we may say a prayer of protection for those who are currently serving. But then we go on with our busy life, and that moment is past, and do we really stop and contemplate what it has meant to them to serve our country? This country exists on the backs of people who took up the call to protect and serve. The decision changed them forever. But it didn't just change them, it changed their families, spouses, parents, children, aunts and uncles, friends, and communities. One person makes a choice, and it has a rippling effect on the world around them. From its beginning, America has been a refuge for those who sought liberty and to pursue peace and to have the freedom to choose how they wanted to worship and live their lives. But that has come at a cost. There have been times in our nation's history that the nation has called up people and said, we need you to serve. And there have been times in our country's history where every person serving it has been by their own choice. But either way, they had to say, I'm willing to pay whatever is required of me. When they sign in 
They don't get to know in advance what it's going to cost. Will they have to give some of themselves or will they have to give everything? They don't know at the beginning. All they know is that they're making a choice and it will cost them something. All who enter our military are changed forever. You can't see and do the things that our military requires in order to keep us safe without being changed. The strength of every country depends on the strength of its military personnel and on what they are willing to sacrifice. We are a strong country because of the men and women willing to serve on our behalf. Isn't that also true in God's kingdom? God's kingdom is as strong as the men and women who stand and are willing to serve on his behalf. God has made a call to all people everywhere. In fact, in Revelation 3.20 it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. God arrives, he knocks, and he waits for us to answer. For those of us who answer, a cost will be required. But do we know what the cost will be? When we first start off, we can't know the answer to that question. It will cost us something, and we cannot dine with God and not be changed forever, just like every person who enters our military. But we don't know the full extent of what cost is going to be required of us. Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. There are two things about that verse that really struck me. One is that it starts with the Father. He draws us, but we respond. The second was Jesus said, and I will raise him up on the last day. And every time that I have ever read that scripture, I look at it in terms of when we die, he will raise us up, just as he was raised from the dead. But this time, when I read it, I was struck by the fact that as Christians, living in a world that is foreign to us, we don't belong here any longer. We belong with the kingdom of heaven. And this world can beat us down. It can be hard to be a follower of Christ in this world. But take heart because Jesus says he will raise you up on the last day. I'm going to take a look at a teaching of Jesus, a couple things that he discussed. And it's in the book of Luke, chapter 14. You don't have all of the scriptures in your bulletin, but if you'd like to open up your Bible um, or the, the Pew Bible, you will find it in Luke chapter 14, and they also will be up here on the screen. There's a couple of parables that Jesus talks about. The first is the parable of the great banquet, and it says, 
When one of those at the table with them heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed are those who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. How often do we as Christians think that? Boy, I can't wait to get to heaven. It is going to be great. The feast we will have. We have to get there first, though, don't we? Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married and so I can't come. He didn't even bother to say, please excuse me. Just knowing he got married was enough. So the servant came back and reported this to his master. And the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the towns and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. A man says, boy, won't it be amazing to be in heaven and enjoy the feast. And Jesus turns around and says, Everybody I invited has a tendency to make excuses why they can't come. Everything is more important than coming to see me. I just bought property. Our possessions are often so much more important. I have oxen. I have to go try them out. We all have responsibilities that take precedence over spending time with Jesus or We just got married or just had kids or our kids have to go to school or something in our family has come up and we can't take that time to spend it with Jesus. Jesus calls all of us and some of us give some of ourselves. In fact, probably as Christians, all of us give some of ourselves to God. But there are a few who are willing to give all of themselves. Jesus goes on. The next one listed in the Bible, the title of it is called The Cost of Being a Disciple. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even life itself, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. That's a pretty hefty cost. Suppose one of you wants to build a house or a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost? to see if you have enough money to complete it? 
For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose it is a king who is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he'll send out a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. He doesn't give us much of a choice. He requires all. God doesn't ask for some. He has paid the price for our freedom, but he asks all of us in return. We don't know what it's going to cost us. We don't know if it will just be some friends who decide, you've just gotten a little weird and I don't want to be around you. Or if it will be family who turn their back on you because of your beliefs. Or if it will cost you your life. We don't know when we say yes to God, we don't know what the cost is going to be. But Jesus is clear that we have to be willing to give up everything unto death. Just like our military, they sign up knowing I could die in service to my country. And I may survive. But I don't get to make, I don't get to choose which ending I will have. God is the same way. We may have to die for our faith. And we may not. We may get to live a long, healthy, prosperous life here in America. We don't know the answer. But are we willing? to give everything to God. Isaiah 6, 8 says, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Here am I. Send me. Before we answer that, Here am I. Send me. We really need to understand what we're agreeing to. We are agreeing to turn our life over to a God who determines the rest of our life for us. We serve him unconditionally because he loved us so much that he gave his life for our benefit. We are called to be in this world, but not of it. We're called to be a people in a foreign land. I don't know about you, but when I've traveled internationally, I always love coming back to America. It's nice to just get on the ground again in the United States. I'm home. Everything is familiar. Even when we would travel back and forth to Canada, you know, we have to go in and change the car and make it in kilometers instead of, and I can't ever figure out how fast I'm going and their signs don't make any sense. And I get back in the States and I just think, this is where people are normal. I know these people. They're like me. 
As Christians, none of us get to feel that way here on earth because we are not of this land. This world does not understand us. They will ridicule us and talk badly and question us and think we're crazy. But that's because they don't understand us. 1 Peter 1.9 says, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who were once not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Sometimes we only want to look at half of what happens in an exchange with God. We want to see what we get, but not what it will cost us to get. First John, it says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God. That is an amazing thing. And yet it goes on. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. In order to get that, being a child of God, we have to accept that this world will not know and understand us. It will often reject us. And yet God asks us to respond to that rejection with love and compassion and forgiveness. I don't know about you, but that's hard. There's a lot of people, close family, who have questioned me because of my beliefs, and I want to just say, you know what, God? They can keep their beliefs. I'm going on to heaven. I don't need them. And God will say to me, but I do. And it's your job to love them. Oh, that's hard. And I don't know if he's ever done this to you, but to me, if I don't respond right the first time, it seems to happen over and over until I get the message, oh, I have to love these people. Okay, let's work on that. It's hard. But the strength of God's kingdom depends on our choices as Christians. The world will see his kingdom as a strong kingdom built on love and acceptance and forgiveness and sacrifice, or it will see it as a weak kingdom built on hypocrisy and people who kind of follow what God calls us to do. The strength of his kingdom depends on us. Luke 7:24 says salt is good, but if salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill, but men throw it out. He who has ears, let him hear. God doesn't ask us to be mediocre or in the middle. We can't have one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom of God. We have all 
or we don't. We are salt that makes people thirsty, or we are not fit for land or dunghill. God wants us to be passionate about him. He wants us to live as a child of the living God. But it will cost us all that we have, all that we are, and all that we might ever be. All of that God asks us to turn over to him with no excuses. Because those who give God excuses, in Luke it said, I say to you, none who were invited and made those excuses will ever taste of my supper. John 15, verse 12, says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Again, that sounds fantastic, but we have to go on and find out what it costs us. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. God will give us joy, and our joy can be full, but he does require us to love others to the point of laying down our own life. Sometimes it is not literal, but for him it was literally his life. Jesus gave everything unto his own earthly death. Can we expect less of our own? Lives. But look at what Jesus got in return. He overcame death. He overcame Satan and the grave. He overcame Satan's hold on all of humanity. We have that same power. We have the power to overcome death, to overcome Satan and his hold on our lives, his hold on the lives of those we love. His hold on humanity. That power rests in us. But the world may mock us. It will misunderstand us. It may ridicule us. It may persecute us. It may even kill us. But in the end, Jesus will raise us up. Revelation 3.21 says, To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my Father on his throne. To him who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes. This is a temporary life. It's hard and it costs to, to follow Christ To be the strength of the kingdom of God, there is a cost. And God does require that cost to be all of who we are. But to him who overcomes, he grants us to sit with him on the throne, just as he also overcame and sits on his father's throne. 
As Christians, you are stronger than you realize. And you are loved more than you know. You're a child of the living God. Be bold. Be courageous. Face what God come, what comes your way because God will be there to support you, whatever it is. The one thing about the cost he requires of us as Christians is that we never pay that cost alone. He is always with us, always apart. You are the strength of the kingdom of God because you have chosen to be a child of the living God. Michelle is going to lead us in Here I Am, Lord, number 589.